work. Welcome to Beerfield, where we pretend to know football, but we can't work Zoom. I am your host <laughs> at Beerfield Hop, Chris Hopper, as always, joined by at Beerfield Theory. Uh, we would have had a guest, but things happen. I don't know if it's public knowledge or not, so I'm not going to go ahead and. It is. Oh, is it? It is. You put it on there already. Okay, cool. So uh, thoughts go out to, to Josh Larkey from Roto Underworld. He's fantastically bright mind in the industry, was going to join us for this episode, came down with COVID, so unable to do so. We'll make sure we get a make update with him on on something else, because all 180 of you that listen to this show deserve to uh, deserve his knowledge. So we'll make sure they we get him on. To, they deserve to hear his voice over ours yeah. as much as humanly possible. We uh we tried to find some backup plans or normal uh our normal we'll call them booty calls uh weren't available to do this either so uh that's loaded f- formerly known as yeah loaded box Ben and DJ kind of split off doing their own things our listeners will be familiar with him loaded box is no more but I guess DJ is going to do some betting content and Ben's going to do a a Dolphins podcast so if you're one of the eight Dolphins fans on the planet. <laughs> If there's any left after this whole thing, who knows? But yeah, so you had quite the time. Yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it was. I was very sad. I was like, well, it's very difficult to maintain a spot in this industry for, you know, yeah, even and five it, years. Even they've been around. Even just a couple years can be a lot. Yeah, they'd been around a little longer than we had, so or have to this point. I think one day what's gonna happen is Dan's microphone just is just gonna break, and he's gonna be like, "Yeah, I'll get a cable, and or I'll come down and get an extra one from you or something." And it's gonna be like five months, and we're just gonna be like, "Fuck it, we're done." Um, <laughs> that's gonna be the beer field way. Probably how it's gonna work. But anyway, uh, we're starting our draft look back series. So as we get built up. Uh, I'm in the background. We're, well, I am. I'm going to pretend like Dan is, whether he is or not. We're we're crunching numbers and reviewing rookies and and looking at the incoming draft class. And as we do that, it's always good to look back at your previous draft classes, figure out what hit, what didn't. Really remember how you felt about people. Always good to reevaluate your, your process, but definitely good to go back and look at uh, these guys from a dynasty perspective. We do three years rolling of these, so we'll start with 2019 tonight. I'll do 2020, 2021 uh, in the coming weeks, and then it'll be combine time. So we'll hit that, and then post-combine, turn around and actually start getting in tune with the incoming NFL rookies this year. So Absolutely. Uh, it's our favorite time of the season uh, where we get to learn new players and get excited about people and be all full of hope about others, and it's a good time. But... Before we get into that, we're drinking. We're drinking. What's fueling beer fueled? What are you drinking? I am drinking Chicago Base Brewery. They don't get they they have officially started to do distribution down in the downstate area that's hot butcher oh really this is their 
It's called Mord <laughs> Jabil. Jabil. I don't know. D R I D I R I G I B L E. More dribbled. More dribble. I feel like that's not right because there's there's other missing words. But either way, this is this is one of their lawn running or just lawn line of of hazies that they do. This is a Citra Simcoe and Eclipse Hopped. I don't know what Eclipse Hopped is. You know what Eclipse Hopped is? Uh, no, it's Eclipse Hopped. It's not Eclipse Hopped. It says Eclipse Eclipse Dash Hopped. So this is a. I'm gonna look it up. I don't see anything about Eclipse Hopped. I see Eclipse Hop. It's a wet hop. Eclipse Hops. Experimental Hop. Right. Australia based. So a lot of more Australia. It's going to get you to the white grape, kind of the drier finish. Oh, um, Yakima Valley does it. Okay. Now, now yeah. I'm familiar with it. Um, Yakima Valley does a lot of good freaking hops. This is pretty dope. But anyways, this is uh so Hot Butcher, for those of you that have been I know out there, Hot Butcher is a uh is a decent size, you know, in a craft brewery from the Chicago based area. They're very famously known in this central area as almost the king of hazies, effectively. Um they're very sought after from people outside Chicago. They started to get bigger, they bought uh two brothers as old. I think their original, no, not two, their two brothers are half acres, bought their original production facility. They moved into there. They, they were able to grow into being able to do their own distribution. So for those of you that are in the Chicago area are going to know about them for the, for anyone who's strolling through here, if you get a chance to get yourself some hot butcher, I, I, and you like hazies, I, I highly recommend it. They tend to be, uh, above easily above standard. So. And pulling that up on the Yakima Valley Hops page, big fruit flavors, sweet, fresh pine, that's zesty citrus. Uh, it sits just a bit on the spicy side and then uh, mid to high on the fruit side. Um, you said it was dry hopped? Yeah. I mean, all these are going to be, I don't know if I'm sure, I'm sure they do other ones, but yeah, this is a, a dry hopped. Uh, I mean, did they use the Eclipse to dry hop or no? Or does it not say? It, it, it won't say. Okay. I mean, sometimes they will. I don't know if they yeah. Will. Oh yeah, no, yeah, you're right. Some people, you know, not some people. Some breweries will do it. Yeah, you know, Old Nation with their M43 series will will generally put on the uh, on the cam how they did their hop editions. Sure, which is always nice. Um, all right, I'm going the other way. I have Pilsner is a four letter word. This is from Triptych Brewing out of Savoy, Illinois. Pre-prohibition inspired lager says six row barley and flake corn. About as basic as you can get. Yeah. But if you want to know how good a brewery is, drink one of their lagers. Yeah. Drink a lager. Drink something crisp, clean that you can't hide behind anything. All right. News. News. Dennis Allen, uh, Saints defensive coordinator, has been promoted to head coach. He's going to be the bridge guy, it looks like. I wonder if they'll try to convince Peyton to come out of retirement after this year. <laughs> it's a bridge to convincing. He's going to be a bridge guy for the Saints several years of dark ages coming up. Um, Fuck him. Lions promoted tight ends coach Ben Johnson to offensive coordinator. Just a note, not anything to really talk about there. Um, yep. He had been 
working closely with Dan Campbell. Anyway, mid last season, I think he started getting more involved on that front. Texans hired Lovey Smith as head coach. In oh, one note on Ben Johnson. Uh, based on the timeline when he did start to help out, that's about the time Monterey St. Brown started to get more involved. Just throwing that out there. Um, Texans hired Lovey Smith as head coach, and they're going to promote Pep Hamilton to offensive coordinator. This was interesting for a couple of reasons. For the second year in a row, the Texans seem to have not been able to attract or bag a coach that... Um, moves the needle or significantly does anything for the franchise. They have not. Nobody else is out interviewing Lovey Smith for a head coaching job. Nobody no. else was out interviewing David Coley for a head coaching job. But for the next, yet again, the Texans have managed to swing and miss on every other head coach and ended up promoting from within. The other thing that feels weird about this to me is, you know, the team was playing for David Coley. They were playing a lot closer than they should have been. You had success. If you're just going to move to Lovey Smith, who's already on your coaching staff, why would you fire... Like, how much is the your pulse not on the finger of what's going on to, to fire David Coley? Because it's not like, okay, we saw something. We need to move at something that can expand on this. You move to somebody who failed to have success at the college ranks after failing to have success in Tampa Bay, after having massive success at the Bears, it's an old-school coach that hasn't proved he can adapt to styles. It just feels like, you know, just like you said, it's a backwards move that that doesn't... It's, it's not going to attract, you know, free agents here on top of the Watson, you know, scenario and just with how Bill O'Brien and, and helped with the owners really tarnish the you know the the PR appeal to a team like this yeah. um to the Texans it, it's the one great thing we have with Levy Smith is the best beard in all of football though it's got that that salt and pepper look he does have a he's got a great beard, beard. <laughs> what this reeks <laughs> of to me is that they fired David Cully hoping to go get a big name failed to attract the big name and then said oh shit what do we do now it, it it's uh if i'm a texans fan i it, 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 this is going to be rough i mean you're in for you're i mean you're hoping for a a complete ownership change at this point with all the you know with all the goodwill that they got with watson and hopkins and this you know team going to the playoffs you had jj watt obviously in his prime and it's kind of just wasted away and it's nothing personal against Lovey. I mean, as oh, a Bears yeah, fan, sure, I have no. fond memories of Lovey Smith, but you got to know, man. Um, Pep Hamilton did get promoted offensive coordinator. That's a move that goes the other way. Pep Hamilton, uh, another internal promotion, was their quarterback's coach. Got a ton out of Davis Mills. He did. He's been, uh, you know, QB coach for the Bears back in the mid two thousands. He was the OC for the Colts during Andrew Luck's years. Wasn't um, he a QB coach when Peyton was there too? Or I thought he. Yeah, I'm looking Peyton at his too. history right now. Two thousand seven to two thousand nine. He was the QB coach for Chicago. Um. Yeah. 
he was the quarterbacks coach for the uh, for the Chargers year of Justin Herbert, as you mentioned, Davis Mills. So this is. I don't think this will point the sign that they're going to keep Davis Mills, but it's a sign that if they bring in somebody, if they draft somebody, they they've got the infrastructure in place to at least support quarterback development and really a decent offense. So it's really going to be interesting if they're just going to have Lovey in this leader of mineral and rely on Pep to put the offense together. But I do like Pep Hamilton in an OC role again. Yeah, this is going to be interesting. I'm I'm with you. I'm a little uh. I'm a little intrigued to see how this offense operates. They're gonna when they when they're able to move Watson, they're gonna get they're gonna get a lot of uh, draft capital in return. So mm-hmm. it might be interesting. It's still it's still Houston. They'll probably still find uh, some way to fuck it up, but probably. I'm intrigued. Vikings hired Kevin O'Connell as their head coach. Uh, latest to f- Apple to fall off the Sean McVay coaching tree. As soon as the Rams. You know, Bengals Super Bowl. This will be officially announced. Um, he's had success. He was with Washington during his during I think Kirk Cousins' last uh, tenure there. Or no, he was there, he was Cousins' quarterback coach during his 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 final couple of years there. I don't know how much he has in hand of 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 how this offense goes, but the Rams are getting plucked left and right. Well, and, o- and the Vikings are doing a lot of plucking. O'Connell, it's going to be the Minnesota Rams soon here. O'Connell, former, uh, you know, NFL quarterback. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's the Kellen Moore path, essentially, except the Kellen Moore path before Kellen Moore. Um, <laughs> True. You know, in, in McVay's coaches, it might take it might take a year or two, but they're so far what we've gotten out of McVay has been good. Coaching yeah, wise, I mean, so. Zach Taylor has been, depending on who you ask, you'll you'll hear varying opinions on Zach Taylor. But they're in the Super uh, Bowl. Yeah, he's in the Super Bowl at the very least. I mean, and I mean, I'll, I mean, oversaw, seen, and oversaw that team's rebuild and is now in the Super Bowl. So say what you will, right? You can be mad about the first two seasons where he didn't see he didn't have a quarterback and then had a quarterback rip his ACL halfway through the season. But yeah, he's uh, yeah. I mean, I I I don't try to give head coaches too much. You know, the GM put the uh, a talent on the field. The players did what they're supposed to do. Head coaches just are not to fuck everything up, and uh, they're in the Super Bowl, so he's doing something didn't relatively right. He didn't fuck it up. In a lot he didn't of head fuck it up. Fuck that up. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have a problem riding on the curtails of Joe, you know, or Joe Burrow either, and you know he's gonna be there for. But anyways, anyway. O'Connell, this I mean, it's the right move coming off of Zimmer. Um, it's a gutsy move, just like, you know, just like with the Bears and their, you know, with their new head coach, you're you're hiring, you know, inexperienced, you know, head coaches in hopes that you, you, hit, you hit on the next guy on that next, you know, you know, big name guy that can, you know, take your team to new heights. So Yeah, and that's really the way it's going anyway, is it? You know, you're going to get in these coaching cycles six new guys and two guys getting second or third chances. By the way, uh, answer to who's the first black head coach to get three head coaching opportunities that uh, that were not with interim tags. Lovey Smith. Lovey Smith. Yep. Yep. We now know the answer to that trivia question we spent all of last episode trying to find. (laughs) 
It just took till now to get. It just took till a couple days ago to get there. For it to be somebody we actually thought about. Um, Absolutely. Green Bay expected to hire Rich Bisaccia as their special teams coordinator. Uh, Good move for them. Bisaccia proved that he had chops beyond being a special teams coordinator. He put himself top flight with the Raiders, and uh, there is no unit in football that needs more help than the Packers special special teams. I mean, it, it can't get worse. Right. So, I mean, maybe we'll finally see the end of Mason Crosby, but yeah. it, it really can't get worse. Crosby was far from their biggest problem. I know. I know. I know. Yeah. Um, let's see. Alvin Kamara arrested in Las Vegas for battery resulting in substantial bodily harm. Uh, rumor has it Kamara hit the guy cause he was trying to run away. I can only assume it's because if he got more than four yards away, Kamara had, no chance at getting to him before it was tackled. <laughs> it, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty bad. You know, it, it's, we still haven't any, any official word. I don't think any of the videos have been, you know, from the incident that night have been posted, but leaked. it sounds pretty fucking terrible. It sounds like yeah. it's just like, it's probably felony assault, but Ray Lewis murdered a guy, and he still made the Hall of Fame and played a full-on career. Oh no, the so, NFL is not blackballing somebody for they're not simple felony they, assault that isn't domestic violence. They took, I mean, they tried to make a name out of Ray Rice. That's been the only guy that's ever really felt, and that was the do- wrath of this. And that was domestic violence. That was that was even, domestic violence. That wasn't yeah. even just male on male fighting in a club. So. Yeah. We'll see as more comes out about this. I'm sure a lot of listeners know, and we'll also, you know, keep you guys up to date with uh, with the info as it keeps getting released. Yeah. Uh, Miami hired 49ers offensive coordinator Mike McDaniel to be their new head coach. Interesting to watch what they do personnel wise here. Um, you know, I like what they have in Waddle. How that 49ers offense ran, I think, is good for Waddle because if you fast forward back, I think two episodes. You know, the biggest thing I wanted to see out of Waddle was that A dot and, you know, to go up and his yards per target to go up and to start working further away from the line of scrimmage. And, you know, we know that that's how Debo and Ayuk worked. Uh, we know how Kittle worked in that 49ers offense. It's good news for Mike Gusecki, who we're still waiting on a breakout from. Um, so, you know, overall, I. I like the hire. I'm intrigued to see what Miami does personnel wise. Um, I think McDaniel's a guy that, at least in the Twitterverse, people seem to like. So, uh, good interview too. So let's, you know, yeah. I hope you find success there. But I'm super intrigued to see what Miami does personnel wise here too. It's uh, only one year of being an OC. It's it's pretty impressive. Uh, he was a run game coordinator dating back to seventeen. Been with Shanahan for a long time though. He followed Shanahan from Atlanta to San Francisco when he was Shanahan's offensive assistant during those two years. Um, he fo- I think he f- he's been following him because Shanahan was with Washington. He's been with Shanahan, I think, since 2011. He, I think yeah. he's followed this this trend. Yes, because Shanahan was with the Redskins, if I'm not mistaken, at that time too. So yes, it was that team at that time. Yeah. So yeah, he he's uh he's been part of the Shanahan family. <laughs> Uh, we'll say so yeah and you know we haven't i mean sala i guess and the jets jury's still out on him but we haven't seen a lot fall off the the kyle shanahan coaching tree 
So we're about to find out. I mean, maybe this will speak to uh, to Miami's running game. We know yeah. how good San Francisco's been, and McDaniel's has been the conductor of that. And that's what I'm watching, and I'm also watching to see if they bring in a, a bigger gadget type of receiver like Debo. Because, um, you know, that's the other thing people are going to be watching for is are they going to get a Debo in there? They're going to be hyper in tune with the running backs, but it's going to be, are they going to get a Debo in there? Because, you know, Waddle isn't... isn't they already have a Debo there. He, and he said his name. Who? Mike Gusecki. Mike Gusecki. Mike Gusecki is not a, he's not a traditional, he's not, not a traditional tight end. So, no. and he played a lot, a lot outside. He did. So, that'll, they have, might be. Yeah, we'll see. It's going to be interesting to watch what they do. But I definitely think that Miami is going to be a team that, you know, even outside of Waddle, there's going to be a couple guys that you throw some stuff on late in your draft or that we're going to be talking about here post draft, post free agency that you may want to target with potential upside. Yeah. And we'll keep seeing on, on who he decides to bring in and his coaching staff. So there's, this is going to be like, this, this is going to be a, uh, a very watched over team, especially in preseason and, you know, in training camp and preseason as we get a little more information. Yep. Ravens hired Brown's GM, former Brown's GM, Sashi Brown, to be their new team president. Oh, um, I missed that one. You can't hate this, though. I mean, Brown did a lot for that Browns, Brown, Brown on Browns, <laughs> for their revival to where they're was, at now. He got axed, but I mean, the draft capital and the way that he managed that roster and managed their cap situation is the reason that they had the playoff run, that they got the players, they got the talent, they got the personnel that they have now. And I think that they're still... No, they're not. But the Ravens have some draft capital this year. And, and Brown showed that he could... He shouldn't have been the fall guy. He showed that he can maximize draft capital, that he can maximize cap space. Um and he didn't never got to cash that in, so I'm just curious what he can do with personnel. Yeah, but he has I mean, hardball there, so that's a good safety net. It, there's a lot of good there. Inside of them getting rid, of, you know, getting rid of the Ron uh, coordinator. There's, you know, Ravens stay making pretty good decisions. We do, and that Ron coordinator landed on his feet anyway. We'll get yep. to that in a minute. Um, Jacksonville hired Doug Peterson to be their next head coach. So I don't hate this. <laughs> Um, they blackballed Leftwich, but this isn't the mistake of like, we're going to bring in Nick Saban now, or we're going to, you know, go get somebody old balls, old school. I mean, Peterson won with the Eagles, right? He took Carson Wentz, who's been mediocre, and Nick Foles, who's mediocre when he's not in Philly. And played that into a Super Bowl with, you know, say what you will about Howie Roseman. I know he's beloved in, in Philadelphia, but a roster that was in cap hell with bad draft choices, bad draft picks, bad wide receiver choices, and aging defense. I mean, um, that Eagles team that won the Super Bowl, when you look at, you know, how that was built and what was there, I mean... He did a pretty good coaching job. I can't take that away from him. And, you know, he ended up side-saddled a bit there, so I'm interested to see what he does with, with a fresh chance down there in Jacksonville. And uh, I don't know if this is real or not, but I saw a quote where he said that he's not going to be missing uh, 
team flights to get grinded on at nightclubs or kicking his kickers. <laughs> I mean, I think it's a great hire from the standpoint that it's it's he's the opposite yeah. of what they of Urban Meyer. He's someone that's guy you know credibility has been successful as a head coach. That should bring stability. Is it is it the long term coaching hire? We'll see. Probably not. You know, it, it's he didn't have a great end to his his run in Philly. You know, to say that it's his fault is wrong because there's a lot of different reasons why that his his time filled there and, and he kind of felt like the fall guy a little bit. But he was. But it, it's he's got he's got Lawrence. He's got. You know, a young offense. He's he's going to have good draft capital for the next year or two as as Jacksonville starts to right the ship, hopefully in the right direction. And I think it's a good hire just from that standpoint. It's not it's supposed to be sexy, but it's supposed to be it's supposed to breathe. You know, stability to this team. So I know. That was rough. Oof. That was bad. That was man. Those STs, man. I tell you, I would. Yeah, but those hard like, T's are. That was. That like was like a worse. It's been a while. Normal. It's been a while. You know, for those on YouTube, gonna have a good laugh at that one. I, I, the YouTube, like, it's all the way there. But I mean, <laughs> even on the podcast, because we don't edit this thing. I mean, y- you're very comfortable with that stutter, and it, STs get you. But that was that was yeah. worse than normal. That was that was fun. But I agree. I was starting to wonder if you were ever going to come out of it. I was like, I, I, you know, I thought I was. I'm sitting here just. Like, I thought I was stuck in a loop the whole time. I, I thought I was fucked. I'm like, well, this is how it goes for Dan. The skip protection's <laughs> broke. I'm sitting here like, you just need to back off and step back and take a deep breath and try. I thought again. about that too. I'm like, I just got to own it now. I've gone too deep. This is gone. This is gone a second longer than it needs to. I just got to let it roll. Let's see how long it takes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Jim Bob fucking Cooter has a job again. Jim Bob Cooter has a job again, and I'm happy about that too. Pass game coordinator in Jacksonville, by the way, uh, very successful in you know similar roles with Matthew Stafford there in Detroit. Um, so this is not bad news for Lawrence either. I think that that outside of Balky still being there because they haven't fired his ass yet. That uh. They're in good shape, really, for it, it, the coaching level. And there are no, like, fix-it-quick scenarios in Jacksonville, right? It's it's not going to be fun next season. But what you're looking for is just solid personnel moves and some glimmers of hope there that that they can build on that more. And then, you know, year three, year four, with Lawrence still in his rookie deal, um, you know, actually be a contender. They're, they're a ways off. And... You're right. Peterson might not be not might not be long term, but bring in Jim Bob Cuter, um, which is a guy that had great success with Matthew Stafford, is a guy that I think can help Trevor Lawrence, and pairing him with Doug Peterson, who I think is a guy that can groom a young roster. I think yeah, I like these two hires. I didn't realize Jim Bob Cooter was only two years older than me. I don't like, realize like how the name itself either. feels like he should be like in his mid fifties, early sixties, and he's thirty-seven years old. Running backs goes for the Jets the previous two seasons, and when you look at the Jets' running backs last year, I mean, you're not. 
enamored because the numbers weren't gaudy, but go take a deep look at, at what Michael Carter and Ty Johnson did, especially how efficient they were in the passing game, right? I mean, look, Jim Bomcooter is not known for, he was a running backs coach. He's not exactly known for having successful running backs. Detroit was never known for having successful running backs. Um, you know, the Jets didn't have anybody that that put up gaudy numbers. So, I mean, this is this is a pass game move. Like, even if he's not going to have his hand in running backs, he still gets to play with a weapon like ETN. He does. You no, know, he even gets a guy like Chenault, who who has been a bust so far in his first two seasons, but he's got he's got that Debo like skill set. Is you know that you know bigger body gadget player type to where you may see some, you may see some stuff like that with uh you know, you know with these guys. If you just keep saying it every three or four months, eventually it might happen. What? Oh, Chanel? No. But I'm trying to up his trade value, man. God damn it! Yeah, it's a losing battle. It's not going to happen. But I mean, it can't get any lower. So I'll say, I mean, it could. But you mentioned ETN can't. though, and that's an interesting buy low candidate who you know didn't even get a rookie season. But that's where Jets backs were most successful is in the receiving game. No, I, I if you're not if you're not out there trying to acquire Travis Etienne, I don't know what you're doing. Highly efficient pass catcher in college, and he's tethered to his quarter, his college QB. Yep. On a bad defense with lackluster receiving core at best. Now Etn top, he's going to be like top three to five this year in running back targets. Love it, absolutely love it. Uh, Washington has a new team name. I don't know if we talked about this yet. I, it, it, I do not care. The name was never going to be as good as people wanted it to be. No, it. it it wasn't. never was. And it's almost makes me wish they'd stepped to the football team. Uh, and apparently not enough to tie away from the fact that Dan Snyder is still. I can't. I, I just, I can't. Like, what does he have? He sucks. Like, literally, what does he have on on some of these, you know, important people? Uh, owner's fraternity, right? It's not what he has. It's what they have hiding in their closets that he might know about. And if they out exactly, if they asked him how many more are going to go down. Yeah, what what like we want to see them emails, and if Dan Snyder gets rubbed the wrong way, yeah, it's what happened. Pun intended. Yeah, right. (laughs) Pun pun fully intended. (laughs) Oof, oof, oof. But anyways, um, Goodell did come out and say today that the owners do have the capacity to vote out an owner when he was asked. Yeah, I, I, I think it's going to happen. Some... It, no, it, it's Between... no, there's no way it happens. The NFL is going to have to do something about it because the owners aren't going to vote out one of their own. When I can guarantee you, I don't think that I think he has shit on the NFL, too. Like, there's there's a reason. Gonna like, I like we can put our 10, our 10, you know, our 10 hats on and and talk about it. But he probably has enough shit. To tear the whole motherfucker down. I think the bigger problem is if they asked him and he starts rolling over on other owners, you know, how damaging is that going to be? And, you know, you can't oust that many owners because you don't have that many billionaires that can step in and buy a football team. Yeah. 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 It's. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mike Rabel contract extension. No details yet, but well deserved. I don't think we need to dive into that a little more. Anymore. No, 
Nope. He's done a hell of a job in Well deserved. Uh, Giants hired Wink Martindale. I mean, what he did in Baltimore with with the scrap of uh, defenders he had is remarkable. Giants State. Giants has had a, a Cleveland Browns type of offseason in terms of. They just did a 180. On, it, it's remarkable. On their player personnel, coaching staff, and imp- on their coaching staff and infrastructure. So let's see what they do on the personnel side because that's all fucked up too. And they got to yeah. start recovering on that side from from the Gettleman era. Um, you know, the offensive scheme was one of the biggest, most revealing things when I I looked at the Giants. But you know, personnel wise, like they've got to do better than what they've done. It putting complementary personnel on the field and and letting them work. It's going to be you know just making the right draft picks, better scouting, and everything else. If the rumors are true that that Barkley and now even Tony are on the trade block. I mean, this is a full fledged rehiring squad here. They may just break. They they may tear as much down as they can. Let Daniel Jones be the quarterback for one more year, and then let him walk when it's you know not not pick up his fifth year, and then just let him walk, and then start. They start a new in twenty three, which is and they need to. I don't know when they can cut yeah. holiday, but they need to start fully. You know, I'm sure there's outs some places. <laughs> Okay. Beer review. What I'm hoping is about halfway through is we are about to get into the draft class. Yes. I'm, uh, it, it may be tough to break this apart. It's going to be tough You're to almost break done. this apart. So, yeah, I'm almost done. I'm going to have to go to the keyser here in a minute. Um, all right. Cool. I'd Pilsner is a four-letter word from Triptych. Uh, if the four-letter word is good, then I agree. Um, this is kind of right up there with Scrimshaw, winner of our March Madness bracket. Um, in terms of just how well executed it is, it's got great color. It's incredibly clear. Like, look at that. You can see my face through it. That's how clear it is. Love it. Um. <laughs> Crystal clear, incredibly crisp. Corn gives it a nice sweetness and some flavor. Um, six row barley is a, a nice turn from from two row bar- barley. It kind of gives it a, a little bit more of a unique, like uh, almost nutty bite. I would call it um, like it, it's it's got a very unique multi flavor that isn't just the subtle sweetness of regular two row. Yeah, um, that combination of of at least corn and Six row does so. Uh, yeah, they did a really good job. Five and a half percent too, which is a little higher for a pilsner. So. A little higher for a pils, yeah, yeah. But look, Triptych is known for their hazies, right? That's their hazy and dry hopped IPAs are what get them all the love. Their pale ales. Um, they used to do a, a really good wheat beer called Leet Wheat that I hadn't seen, haven't seen in a while, but um. This is just proof, like, and they do this every now and again, too, where they just throw something out there that is basic as hell, and they do that really well, too. And it's like we said, you want to know how good a brewery is? Drink a Pilsner or drink, it, drink you know, a classic-style beer where you can't hide behind adjuncts and, and hops, and oh, they prove they can do that, too. Yeah. All right. Again, I'm drinking Hop Butcher. More dirigible. 
We're dear dear eligible is the uh it's the word here. It's another word. It's basically like a blimp. I guess is what a dirigible is. So on the can, you get to see a dirigible in the background, which I'm assuming is what it's supposed to be, and a bunch of clouds coming out. So hazy with all the industrial shit behind it. So again, it's the Citra, Simcoe, Eclipse, Dry Hops, single, you know, single hazy IPA, six and a half percent of drinks like a hazy IPA would. You know, a lot of citrus, pineapple. You get some of the stone fruits, not as heavy grapefruit or tangerine, but you get a lot of the pineapple sweetness. You get a little bit of orange to it. It's uh, it, it's a classic hazy. Not much more needs to be said. Cool. All right. Um, so, yeah, if you're ever in Illinois, check these two things out. Triptych actually making, some, making its way into Missouri and some other areas, too. They got a pretty large distribution now um but yeah if you're passing through champagne uh on your way east or west i-72 runs right through there and then keeps going so check it out all right 2019 draft class so um you know as i was putting this class down on paper i think that the one thing that became obvious to me is this class um it felt pretty top heavy and pretty cut and dry as far as yeah you know who was going to succeed who wasn't going to succeed there's a couple surprises that guys that were a little better than we thought we they were going to be but they didn't really blow up um you know there were some surprises as far as who didn't perform too but you know overall i think that the bigger surprises here were who didn't do anything than you know who did basically so yeah i mean it it basically kind of fell there is no massive jumps outside of receiver maybe tight ends kind of underperforming tight ends underperformed there's like a group of people that if you had told me all of them missed i would have been really surprised and we'll get there in a minute yeah. um it's not 2017 bad, but it's it's the kittle. It's, it's it's still you pretty know, bad. It's not that bad. At least not it's yet. It's not bad. It's just you know, there's another yeah, group of all, people that I would have thought yeah. based on even today, even today, right? Because yeah, when yeah. I put together my NFL success baselines to start doing my rookie evaluation and decide who I'm going to watch film on, right? Which is guys that pass statistical checks or guys that pass athletic checks get film watch. That's how you do hybrid analytics. I have a baseline for what you need to do analytically, and then I go watch film on your ass. And that's how you do both. But, but or, or or you get a lot of hype. And we just have to yeah, kind of watch you. That too. So um, let's look at the quarterback class. And we'll just take these guys a little different than we were running back some wide receivers. You know, the the only guy that I think jumped up here that some people weren't on was Gardner Minshew. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of people were on Gardner Minshew just because of how gaudy the, the numbers were as a guy that when you looked up and down. I, I kind of was when you looked up and down. If you're like, okay, there's a late round guy that might do something. It was Gardner Minshew, Easton Stick, maybe some people on Will Greer because I was higher on Greer too. But you and I both like Greer. Yeah, it go, wasn't just it, going into were. going into the draft. Post draft, we yes, had to fade yes. him pretty heavy, but going into the draft, we did. So coming out of the draft, you know what you're really looking at is your next guys. We'll get to Minshew kind of on his own. 
coming out of the draft, what you're looking at is Drew Locke, Dwayne Haskins, Daniel Jones, Kyler Murray. And, you know, these guys checked all the boxes for range of outcomes, right? You have Kyler Murray, who is a top echelon quarterback in this league. You have Daniel Jones, who has really disappointed. You have Drew Locke, who um, I think this year, especially, like, people thought he was really bad and then you get Teddy Bridgewater and you're like well this team needs Drew Locke now because you know what else are you gonna get we need to see more of him people aren't done with him yet I think people are done with Daniel Jones people aren't done yet with Drew Locke per se I I think a lot of people wanted Drew Locke because they felt it was the better alternative for that offense and you might as well at least see if he had progressed any but I think Locke and Minshew have the best chance of being journeymen's. I think they do too. At this point, Locke. At, at this point, I, I. It's hard for me to see Locke just get a, another shot without being a part of a, you know, a competition. I see him and Minshew as bridge guys between rookies, I, the next Ryan Fitzpatrick's. I think Locke still has more upside than. I think he. I mean, sure. Bigger arm. I think Minshew's a better journeyman for that, though. I think he's... Minshew's going to be a much better bridge guy because he's got a higher floor. Yeah. Locke, I think just like with Jones, it was, and with Haskins to an extent, it was, if he hits, it's going to be great. But if he, you know, if he busts, that's likely it. I think Locke still has a chance to, but I, I, I'm not betting on it. I mean... He hasn't crashed and burned like... You know, he wasn't caught up in the shit show that Daniel Jones was and didn't. And let's be clear, he had his own hiccups. He wasn't caught up in the shit show that yeah. Daniel Jones has been. He's overall looked better than Daniel Jones. And Dwayne Haskins just straight up. Haskins is <laughs> everything about that situation. Bombed. Yeah, I mean, Haskins is the biggest bust of this quarterback class. Oh, yeah, easily. Easily. Um, Jones still at least has some, you know, fantasy upside to him because of the Russian ability. So for fantasy wise, he's still got something, but yeah, I, yeah. Well, and I saw Haskins coming. I, I think I can say that relatively honestly, honestly, not just in hindsight. I was never sold on Dwayne Haskins. Um, no, he, he had his problems and Washington just and handled then, it poorly. And then you add the the personality problems coming out too, and exactly the attitude problems. He goes to Pittsburgh, which is great at dealing with attitude problems. He may get another shot, but you're not going to see any hype on that until you know, because it's not Mason Rudolph. So what's going to happen? He is, didn't beat. Yeah, it was he, he didn't beat out Mason Rudolph. He's he's done. Right. Well, unless no that way. was a you got to come earn it, but. You know, if Pittsburgh goes through free agency in the draft and miraculously does nothing at quarterback, which I don't see them doing, they're heavily tied to Malik Willis right now. But if they go through that and do nothing, then you're going to see Dwayne Haskins' name crop up. You know, as far as this class goes, I mean, behind Kyler Murray, who are you most sold on giving you any form of of value down the road who's a back of the roster super flex quarterback that you're just like yeah we're gonna hold them maybe as a just in case until i can i mean until i need Minshew right now it's got the best backup situation i mean as much as we love jalen hurts 
And I would love to see Philly completely, you know, buy into him. He's he's on the team through 22. He's on contract with Philly through 22. Um, if Hurts implodes, if if Philly struggles, he may find himself benched. Minshew still has. He's been successful with. Well, you know, with with two different franchises, with two different offensive schemes, and he's got injury with Hurts too. Is the other thing too with the style that he plays? Absolutely too. And he's been he in, in his one lone game, so small sample size, he was successful. At least you know from a production standpoint, I think he's the best one to make a case because I think he has the backup staying power. He'll never be valuable. He'll be a buy low in super flex if he's in a. You know, good backup role, or if he lands into, and you know, an ambiguous back, you know, quarterback backfield for whatever reason, he'd be my best bet to bet on. I think he's, I think he should be rostered in all you know deep super flex leagues, especially if you have Jalen Hurts, because you want to protect that, and you got to see some success with them from this past season when he got called upon to take over. So, I mean, I know you love Locke, and you know we don't have to beat that horse. He'd be my he'd be the second one though. I think he could land in a backup role somewhere. No, and he may be given that shot. I think Jones is done after this, uh, personally. Yeah, and I'm not gonna beat that that horse. I will say Drew Locke just to take another angle on a different guy. I don't disagree with the Minshew take. I'm a sure. huge. Oh yeah, obviously a huge fan of Gardner Minshew. Um, in, in what he does. And I agree, he absolutely has the highest floor, and you are most likely to get value out of Gardner Minshew. The case I'll make for Drew Locke today, February 9th, 2022, (laughs) the date being put there. So if you're listening to this in May, the situation could change drastically, right? This is a podcast that somebody new finds us and wants to go back and listen that far. You may find this one. So February 9th, 2022, today, with the infrastructure that the Broncos have put in place with Nathaniel Hackett, who got good seasons out of Blake Bortles, if they do not, if they whiff on Rodgers, if they do not address the quarterback situation, and given how set they are in other areas, I would be very surprised if they don't, but I don't have a lot of faith going in in this quarterback class. No, of course not. So if you swing and miss on Rodgers, I think immediately you're setting yourself up for a quarterback competition because I don't know, this is before we get to film, but just looking statistically and what the general temperature is across Twitter on this quarterback class, I don't know that there's somebody that you necessarily look at them and say they're a day one starter and they're going to be successful. So even if the Broncos draft somebody, you could have Drew Locke in a quarterback competition type of scenario under a head coach that got the best out of another famously kind of mediocre quarterback that could unlock a different level of Drew Locke. See what I did there? Mm-hmm. Um, unlock a different level of lock. Unlock a different lock. I, um, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah, I got it. I mean, there's there's just as of today, a path and opportunity there in a new look offense with the right infrastructure, with the right weapons in place to give him one more shot at realizing what some of that upside is. Now, if he fails, then you got to be done. But I think that Drew Locke deserves one more shot at proving that he's got it because, I mean, last year was a clusterfuck. You had the COVID situation. You had injuries. You know, 
not last year, two years ago. And then you had Vic Fangio immediately married to Teddy Bridgewater, which is a Vic Fangio conservative type of move. I think Locke gets one more, deserves one more shot, and he may get it, um, even if it's just a shot in an open quarterback competition, right? Not even necessarily a shot to start, a shot to prove he should start. Then, you know, I think that you have to hold on to him for that because I think that, you know, outside of him, Minshew, Jones, Haskins, he has the higher upside, but definitely a lower floor than what Minshew does. Who is uh who's the new who is the Broncos new head coach? Nathaniel Hackett. Hackett, that's right. Who that's right. Had Bortles in, in Jackson. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean that's I mean it's a we'll see. He's a toss up. He's gonna be free in all leagues. He's probably been dropped in all he's been dropped in all, you know, single QBs. I'm sure he's been dropped in a lot of super flex. So if you like him or if you think he's gonna have that that shot at it. Go ahead and pick him up. Yeah, I wouldn't trade for him because you're just wasting. A, I think you'll be wasting a pick because he. I think he will be dropped at some point. But yeah, if it, if he if you think he has a shot, then then I go out and pick him up. But and I, I think I, I, yeah, I think if the Broncos don't trade for a quarterback or sign one in free agency, I think really if they don't trade for a quarterback, right? They they do they do have pick nine. And they, I've seen mocks now. I've seen I've seen Malik Willis mock there now. You know, he's he's he quote unquote was the winner at at the Senior Bowl. So I'm expecting him no to be vaulted up the, the boards. I'm, I'm one of the few that puts zero stock into the Senior Bowl. But well, sure, I put stock. What whatever these bigwig guys, they're, they're not mocking to be correct on their evaluations. They're mocking to how they think the NFL is actually going to draft them. So if I start to see more Malik Willis yeah. in that top 15, top 10 range, then I think that spells doom for anything. If they don't get a quarterback, if they don't, if they can't trade and for I don't think it, a Rogers or Wilson. And like I said, I don't even think that that necessarily spells doom because I don't think with this quarterback class that somebody comes in and they're immediately like, all right, cool. You're starting. Worst if they feel, scenario, yeah. If even if they start with Locke, right? He's he's a first he's, round pick. They didn't pick up his fifth year. He option. wasn't a first round. No, he wasn't. He was So no, he's, he's a free pick. agent after this year. So I mean, you talk about the journeyman role, right? If he even starts, plays one season, auditions himself into I think a role Locke, where he could be picked up as a is a bridge guy. Then, Locke is begging that they draft a quarterback and not trade for a Rodgers. I think that's his only way that he that he shows maturity and he can outright pull a uh, Jimmy G and take the starting spot over the Broncos taking a top ten quarterback. That's that's already a tough ask, you know, from your fans to say, "Hey, we drafted this guy top ten. We're not going to play him." San Francisco needed to get to the NFC Championship game, and they're still getting shit on for playing Garoppolo over Lance. So well, that's we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. I'm just saying we'll that unless they trade for somebody, I'm not coming off that take. Um, Haskins and and Jones, I agree. I think Jones is done. Haskins probably doesn't get another shot. Um, I think Jones does play this year, though. I think he has one Jones more year. Play this year, and, and they won't chance. pick up his fifth year, and they'll let him walk. Well, they would have had to already pick up his. No, is that due? That's due. When do they have to decide by that? This off season, they have to decide the year before their fourth season if they're going to pick up fifth year. 
So these guys, all these first rounders have their fifth year options either picked up or, or declined. Okay. I thought it was during the off season going into their fourth season. It is. This Not, is the off season going into these guys' fourth season. These guys just finished year three. I know. Yeah. But so, the deadline's passed for them to, to have that declare. I thought there was a like during this, not not this past off season, but I thought there was some hard, some hard spot. Like I, I can't imagine. I I thought before maybe before league year starts, which is what mid March, May second is when they're due. Okay, so May second, so we still have a couple months to see so if they're anything not shakes up. Which is probably why you know Kyler Murray did the whole yeah social media thing is just to put a little bit more pressure. Or maybe not to pick up his fifth year option, but to extend him before they pick up the fifth year They're option. They're gonna yeah. Um, I, 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 so but yeah, I mean they're because Well no, they picked up Allen's fifth year option and then superseded it with the extension. So you can probably pick it up early too. You can probably yeah. decide on it early. I don't know what he's doing, but He'll be there or somewhere. So I, I think yeah. though, yeah, I think he'll play this year. And then if they don't pick it up, he's gone. If I don't see them picking it up, it wouldn't make any sense. Uh, Will Greer, Ryan Finley, Easton Stick, Clayton Thorson, Trace McSorley. None of those guys you need to care about anymore. Nope. All right, running backs. Um, I'll kind of break this up. They're they're in order. Let's start with uh, Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders, and. Well, let's start with Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders, Damian Harris. These are the three guys that were were really kind of... Did kinda... you skip? You didn't put on uh, David Montgomery. Is David Montgomery in this draft class? Yeah. I don't know if he was before Henderson, though. That's wrong. Yeah, he was. He's third-round pick. Missed it, or...? You missed it completely. I was... I don't know if he was before or after Henderson, though. Maybe it was even before Singletary. Yeah, he was. He was third round. Anyway, so let me make sure I didn't miss anybody else. Uh, it makes me wonder if I just glossed over it or if it really wasn't on the list. So Montgomery was after Henderson by a few picks. Okay. He was, and I did miss it. He was after Henderson by a couple picks and I had a single tear. I just glossed over it. So, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Throw him in that mix too, though, right? With, you know, yep. not Henderson because I'm not going, going pick wise, but. Okay. Um, oh, I see. I I'm, get you. I'm going kind of tier wise, right? How we had most of these guys pre ranked. And I think that what a lot of that was was Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders, David, Mc- David Montgomery, and Damian Harris at the top of this class. Where what a lot of people were, and Harris was generally outside of that top tier. It was generally right. Jacob Sanders, Montgomery, and then the tier break of Harris, Henderson, Henderson you know, Justice, some Hill. Madison, some you know, some Singletary, and Justice even Hill. Justice Hill got some love too. Justice Hill was up there, and so, Bryce Love before all that. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that soon. Uh, so Jacob Sanders, Montgomery. Um, kind of a tale of three different backs here. Montgomery hasn't produced any seasons that you're like, 
oh, holy shit, he's elite, but he's been very solid and very consistent throughout his career to date. Um, he has some injury issues, but you know, some people having a hard time buying into him, but he's been very consistent. Um, Miles Sanders has been very, we'll call it inconsistent, borderline disappointing. And Josh, it's been all over. It's been, it's, it's been all, he's been all over the place too. And Josh Jacobs has been, well, kind of all over the place. So DLF, 18 Montgomery, 21 Jacobs, 24 Sanders. So all mid to back in twos. I don't expect any of them to get re-signed with their current team. I don't even know if Jacobs will get his fifth year picked up. Because, you know, again, he was a lone running back taken in the first round. Yeah. I kind of like trying to acquire them, though. If I'm a contender this year, because all of them, all three of them should have secure roles. Sanders is touch volatility. You're not really sure why, you know, Nick Siriano never really bought into using Sanders more often. Josh Jacobs does have a bit of upside, though. If the Raiders decide to pick him up or resign him, or not resign him, but extend him, and if the new coaching staff decides to utilize his best skill set, Jacob still has some value beyond this. But like we talked about earlier on in multiple times throughout this this past year and the you know previous offseason, it's really difficult to want to buy into these guys with the upcoming draft classes and just with, with the state of running backs right now. Going into their second contract and everything, and that's... You know, or coming up on it. I mean, it may be time to get out of some of these guys if you don't expect them to be re-signed. Because running backs landing on a second second contract with a different team in being productive or successful is even rarer. Um, but you know, if I'm, it just depends, right? I mean, Sanders, I think, still has the most upside in the class. But you're right. He does. Inconsistent usage. Montgomery's been the most consistent, but inconsistent injury wise. Uh in you know, Jacobs has been very up and down. Some sometimes he's looked like a back end RB one, other times he's looked like he's barely capable of holding a, a flex position. So you know the other guy that I think fits in the conversation with these guys is, you know, at least in the starter rule is Damian Harris who I think in that one-two punch with Ramondre Stevenson actually might have the most upside this season out of any of the the four guys. But also, right, fourth year, is he going to get re-signed? Where is he going to go? He's going to be splitting. So, you know, I think Harris has showed us great things last season and what he could be being, you know, easily the top performer out of the set. Where was Damian Harris at per DLF? Uh, Damian Harris is RB29. He's is that points per game. He's nuzzled. He's, he is in between Tony Pollard and Chase Edmonds. Was that points per game? Because he missed a couple. No, no. I'm just looking at, overall. at Dynasty ranking right now. Oh, you're looking at rankings. Rankings. Sorry. I'm not looking at how he finishes. I thought you were looking at of, finishes. No, 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 no. How they're ranked. How... All, all the DFL guys rank them. Um, it, a lot of that's also kind of based off. There's some mocks too to that too. So, right, Damian Harris. I think the biggest concern is Ramondre Stevenson. Again, with all these guys, it's 
it's coming to the second contract. What's their situation going to be after this season? It's tough. Um, out of these four, who are you not? Who do you want to get rid of while there's still value with their current team? And who do you expect to have value beyond their first contract? I I'm still probably going to try to move. <sighs> I mean, they're all relatively they're kind of the value the same. I mean, you got Monty at RB 18 all the way through Damian Harris at 19 or, or at 29. Excuse me. It, it's probably, I'm probably going to try to move on Sanders when he has one of those, those big efficient games. He was efficient with his touches last year. They're just minimal. Jordan Howard, um, in Boston, Scott are likely not going to return, so it's just him and Kenny Gainwell, and obviously they'll they'll probably bring some guys in, you know, draft some guys, or they'll potentially bring back one of the two. Um, I'll be looking to flip him. I just there's no way that he stays in Philly if they're if they're not going to give him this. He's going to expect more money because of that. Um, I think Harris has the best. I think Harris could return the best value, but. The Patriots just replace running backs, replace running backs, replace running backs. He has his successor in Stevenson who will just take over his role when they don't and when they inevitably let him go next year. Or if they do resign him, then I guess, but he's always stuck. He's always gonna be stuck in this backfield and never they used you know, him. getting they used Stevenson more like Blunt though, and Harris more like um Deion Lewis. So I mean and, you know, they did resign those guys with James White multiple times. I know McDaniels isn't there anymore, but, you know, just I want to make sure that that gets out there as well, that, you know, the Patriots really don't turn backs like, say, the 49ers do. Um, I think that, you know, James White had multiple contracts. I think Deion Lewis got two contracts there. I think Blunt had two different stints. Um, and, you know, we've seen them kind of typecast these running backs as well. I don't know how much that, that carries over, um, with whoever's going to replace McDaniels, but it's just something I noted when I deep dove into the Patriots for dynasty was that Stevenson and Harris really, while they do cut into each other's workload, there was a complimentary aspect there as well. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just, if he was year two you know he was going into year three i think this would be different and that's the, the biggest fact, difference right there and, and it's like second contract if you're trying to acquire any of these guys you're trying to get production from this year so i i think he has i think he has some of the most insulated value you know right out there with you know with josh uh jacobs and montgomery montgomery was top five in opportunity last year he's mm-hmm. in top two in a snap share so he's on the field uh Harris is just going to cost the least. And with this running back class not being particularly strong, right? In terms of depth to kind of, you know, mirroring the 19 class and that, you know, and this previous class in terms of depth wise, there's not a lot that can be blown up. And New England, I don't see them adding guys to this backfield with they already have James White's replacement and potentially JJ Taylor. So it's more of what we expect from its carved out role. But I it, long term, it's really difficult to assume. Josh Jacobs has the best opportunity because he has a fifth year to him, and and the Raiders have made the playoffs. He's been a focal point of the offense. 
he's got his own durability concerns, new coaching staff. So there's some, I think he has the highest potential long-term uh, to this team, but he's also just, he's been uninspiring. Like you said, there's nothing special. There's nothing special about really any of these guys, Sure, but they're going to find production this year. They're going to be a value in redraft more than likely. And they're going to be a value in terms of trying to trade for them for, you know, for contention. I mean, we're all, we're at the point where they're good buy lows for a one-year rental. And then you try to maybe get an offload. If one of them blows up, you can offload them for a higher return for a 23 pick potentially. All right. Moving on kind of the next tier. These are guys that have had kind of some form of value in their own right. Um, It's, the larger grouping of Daryl Henderson, Devin Singletary, Alex Madison, Justice Hill, Tony Pollard, uh, and then you know a little bit below that, Miles Gaskin, Ty Johnson. So, I mean, I just want to go one by one here and give kind of my quick thoughts on each guy. Um, okay. Daryl Henderson, my thought on him is that you know that goose kind of got cooked, right? He had a shot with the Achilles injury to Cam Akers. It it wasn't really capitalized on. The Rams brought in Sony Michelle there towards the end, towards uh, Acres' return. Sony Michelle was outproducing Daryl Henderson. Um, you know, I, I think Henderson's a guy that I kind of look at and think that he's likely to kind of fade away over the next two to three seasons. He'll get shots and kind of bounce around some and may even give you a productive season, but depending on where he lands and what the opportunity is there, but um, it's going to be spotty. Yeah. He's, he's not going to go back to the Rams. He's going to want to maximize what he got from this past season as a sh- mm-hmm. showcase that he can potentially be a plus a one, a in a committee backfield. But again, he's, he's uninspiring and he's got his own durability concerns. Yep. Uh, Devin Singletary, I talked about him a lot a couple weeks ago. We talked um, a lot about him. We did. He's, in my opinion, a, a hold. He started to take over that backfield from from Zach Moss. Um, got a lot more utilization and was, you know, productive with it. I think if that continues in the next season, he become you know turns from a hold into a a trade away type guy. Um, but I do think that he has value at least through next season. Again, it's hard to predict with a lot of these guys what that second contract's going to look like. Um, you know, he's not the one I have the most faith in long-term at getting a, a real prolonged shot at this. We'll get to that guy in a minute. But Singletary is a guy that uh, I think at least going through into this season is going to have some some value. And I think that early on in the season, you can capitalize on that. Yeah, I mean know my thoughts i mean you're gonna have multiple cell windows right now works because we haven't hit free agency or the draft yet what the bills do in both of those scenarios is going to heavily sway and weigh on singletary's value if you hold on to him and he quote unquote survives both and you're in the perfect spot then we reach to where you and hog were at at with them during that episode it's it's survive the draft survive free agency and then he can monetarily gain value throughout the summer off season until you can really capitalize on what he'll be at the beginning part of the season. And that's, and, and that's where he is, right? He's in 
he's at he's in the perfect offense for his his role and he does just enough that's he's he's gonna be productive if he gets a real shot at it all right so alex madison's one of the most unique cases here because he's not a guy like singletary or henderson where you've kind of seen them in these rbbc roles madison's a guy that you don't see a lot of until dalvin cook gets hurt and then he comes in and immediately gives you these you know high tier running back type of games and it reminds me a bit of what michael turner did in with the chargers behind lt before he ended up getting a decent run with the Falcons. Yes. And I think that Alex Madison is probably the guy that I like most out of the second grouping, maybe even out of the whole class to, to long-term get a shot that you haven't seen yet. I mean, he's a guy that um, is a little bit by low. I mean, I mean he's, he's premium cuff, so he gets valued pretty high for that, but you know, Coming into year two, I think given the productivity is shown in you know full games but limited work, so not a lot of tra- not a lot of uh, wear and tear on the tires. Um, proven productive back, you know, especially if Minnesota hangs with with Cook. If he goes elsewhere, he's a guy that I think could could get some rum and run and maybe some rum too. And rum, yeah, <laughs> really give you a couple good seasons there. I I just. I think he's just in the perfect offense. If, if if he lands on a team that wants to utilize him the way that the Vikings utilize him and Cook, I think that's where his specialty lies in. And I think that's where the, the big benefit draws from. It's just he's a great backup. He's a great spell piece. And maybe Minnesota's gonna give him a little bit more run this year to not, you know, did not give so much to Cook. Um I I I've I was never excited about him as a prospect. It's that's just kind of where I land with him on that. Um, but I mean, he could, right? Just like with Tony Pollard, it's these guys get so much attention as a pure backup that every time they've been given a chance to shine as a starter, they've been productive. And it's great. And I always wondered, is it, is it actually, I mean, it's, it's partly them, but is it also they're in the perfect scheme for them? So it, it's, I mean, maybe he will, just like you said, he's got, you know, minimal wear, you know, on the tires and, and, and he's been able to be productive in every shot that he's gotten. So, well, and he's just I think, I, I think, I think at the very least, he'll land into a committee role wherever he goes to next and we'll see from there. Well, and he's to say, well, I mean, committee roles are easy predictions these days because there's like three teams True. that use Drew Bell. You're right. Bells, but, <laughs> you're right. I mean, you're right. Any back that lands anywhere is probably going to land in some form no, of a, no, com- you're a committee role. Right. But, yeah. um, um, you know, who's to say that he doesn't get typecast the same way, but with more opportunity and kind of, uh, you know, what we saw with Mark Ingram and Kamara, for example, you know, in, in that type of the smash role, though, another player's dash, something like that. So I wonder if I wonder what his market's going to command. That's really what it's going to come down to between, you know, him and Pollard is. These you know premium cuff players, what actual type of market are they going to get mm-hmm. when they hit free agency? Minnesota may also try to lock up Madison because they like him to back up Cook, but we're in a whole new you know world with the Vikings and their coaching staff and schemes moving forward. And I think that that scheme might 
definitely fit Cook's skill set better. <laughs> so, um, I mean, Madison is not, I mean, they're not, I mean, Cook's more explosive, more athletic, and obviously better in a lot of different ways, but not to a, not to that massive of a point. Mm-hmm. Madison's been always been able to do what he's supposed to do. So, I mean, Minnesota could look at this and they could let Cook walk the same way that people think that the, the Cowboys are going to let Zeke go and you're going to see Madison move into that role. And that's what I think happens with Tony Pollard. That's a, a very good bridge there, right? So the Cowboys have an out on Zeke after 2022 when Tony Pollard would be a free agent. They uh, got to sign him. Yeah, yeah. They got to yeah, sign him, so- but they have an out on Zeke. Um, it would be 11.6 in dead cap um, on a post they have six a, one a lot raise, better. But they have a lot better out in 23, which is they do. And, I think they're they may lean to go for, but they release post six one. I mean, they're not gonna save a lot there, but you know, get some. Sorry, I kept the wrong season. It gets them off the books. 2023, let's see. 2023, pre-6-1 release is $4 million. Post-6-1 release gives them uh, $11 million in savings next season. So if he trends down again this year, and I talked about Zeke as a guy that, you know, now is the time to, to trade him. You're getting on the back end of that bell curve. He's trended down the last three seasons. Um, You know, there's... 11 million in cap savings sitting there for a post six, one release next season. They have an out. Um, it, sorry, next off season, they have an out. Um, so if you, if I'm reading this right, so if you, um, resign Tony Pollard and he continues to trend the opposite direction, I mean, he could just end up the guy in Dallas. That's what a lot of people are, are are hoping to see into this year. You also gotta remember Zeke battled with his own injuries throughout most of last year too. At least at least towards the end of it. Um we're gonna have to wait and see with these moves. I mean, Pollard is one where <laughs> I can easily see him getting plucked and going somewhere else. Same with Madison. I could too. And, then, and, and that's kind of it's good and bad because we don't know where how to value them when they leave. And that's why they're, that's why they're, they, they can be premium bias. Pollard just is always going to feel more expensive. Everyone, in, everyone in this community loves them. And landing spot matters, but yeah. And Pollard's more dynamic, which yeah. again is why I kind of like Madison a little bit more because it's going to cost you less to go out and, and acquire that, that uh, scratch off ticket. I think, yeah, like if you got him, you hold him. I mean, if you want to, I mean, I do not pay up. I think he's a good guy to just throw in maybe into a deal. If you believe in Madison, the same way that people did with Pollard the last couple of seasons, you, you just do the same, yeah. right? You throw him into your deals that you're making. Yep. And you just go from there. Because I think it's going to be hard to trade for him one for one because most people that still have him are holding and waiting for that this moment to also happen or so. for Dalvin cook to just, I don't know. Hurt and done for the year. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. Monty's got so much or not. Monty Madison's got so much already baked in value that it's going to be difficult to pry away in a one for one deal. You just gonna have to try to acquire him through, you know, throw-ins and 
So multi-layer deals. Can't tell from how we're talking about it. We're much more intrigued by Alex Madison and Tony Pollard than we are the top end of this class as far as what happens with them after their first contract. Yeah, I, right, yeah, right. Which is, uh, yeah. which is kind of <laughs> funny. Um, going beyond that, um, uh, Justice Hill, I mean, dead. Maybe I mean, the Ravens don't, didn't. Devonta Freeman's not a long-term answer there, right? So what are they doing this year? We'll see. Uh, but I don't think there's a lot of long-term value there coming off. Well, of they re-signed Gus last year, didn't they? Hasn't shown a lot of anything. They did re-sign Gus. Let me see what that contract was. So Gus Dobbins. I mean, if 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 Jackson utilized Hill more as a pass catcher, then I'd be more intrigued. But we we know why would ever why would well, Jackson ever want to dump it off to a Dobbins back? is just problem. the next coming of Justice Hill. Uh. Yeah, they did sign Gus last year. They have an out um, ahead of this season for like two million in cap savings or something. He's a low cap hit. But They're they have the high that they have the most salary cap right now. Yeah, they don't have a reason to cut him. No, so there's... I mean you're probably going to get the same RBBC with Justice All Right. So I agree, value's probably kind of dead. I mean the fun thing here is that Gus Edwards is the only back there that's shown anything. So. Well, Dobbins will be your starter. It'd be, I mean, a lot of we, unless we get free act, you know, you know, free accidents. Hill's also coming off of his own injury, so it's not like right. and I think his is an Achilles but, too. Dobbins will be your starter based on the one game he started. That's kind of where I'm at. Well, I'm basing it off of draft capital and the fact that he was starter going into last year I'm ba- before he got hurt. I'm basing so, it off of... I mean, unless you really think Justice Hill is going to overtake Dobbins, which I, I, I don't. highly it's doubt Gus, It's Gus Edwards and previous productivity that I'm more worried about outproducing Dobbins than it is Justice Hill. I'm not worried about Justice Hill necessarily outproducing either of them. Yeah, I, I it's... It'll be Dobbins and Edwards. I think I think they love Edwards and that spell row did the same yeah. thing with Montgomery. Argue, that was not a I know we're talking about Justice Hill. That's yeah. not a Justice yeah. Hill argument. That was <laughs> That's how so much I really care about that, Justice that Hill. That was a guess Edwards argument. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyways, I I yeah, I mean Miles Gaskin, super disappointing season. We'll see what happens there. Right now it's a a wait and see if they do something with running back this offseason because they didn't last offseason. You're bringing in a coordinator that's been good with running backs. So it's a wait and, a wait and see on Gaskin. Probably dead, sadly. And Ty Johnson is probably dead. Yeah, these guys are both uh, probably both, uh, you know, done for. Low low DC, you know, teams have found, I mean, Miami's have found his replacement, but, no, but given his usage last year, just. Ty Johnson's got an obvious replacement. And, and oh, easily, yeah. He'll, he'll, he'll be, role, so. yeah. Ty's completely done for. Uh, all right. Two guys to talk about in the lower tier. Bryce Love, does he ever get another shot after injuries? No. no. He would have gotten it already otherwise. Yeah, cut. Um, and Darwin Thompson, just so we can laugh about that for a minute. <laughs> remember and Benny we, Snell. <laughs> remember when they were supposed to be things. Uh, uh, other names in this class are probably guys you've looked at and said, who or gross, I don't want to do anything with that. They were Raquel Armstead, Quadriolis, and Jordan Scarlett, Travion Williams, Dexter Williams, Travis Homer, Rodney Anderson, who I mean, there was some hope for, and Mike Weber. I mean, at least Homer has a unique role in Seattle. 
<laughs> like that's the only the unique role in Seattle being when I he's I think he had I, he had a productive week or two. Yeah, the unique role. I don't need to talk. Is... I'm just saying he's the only one that I think in this list that's actually right. But you say unique role when his unique role is really that he played a little he... more when when uh, <laughs> Chris Carson and Rashad he runs some he runs some routes. He had that he had that ninety ninety yard game against San Francisco. Oh, ninety week, yards. in week thirteen where he scored a touchdown. Ninety yards. Okay, color me. <laughs> Corrected. All right, wide receiver. Yeah, you goddamn right. You've been corrected. Um, very kind of hit or miss here. Um, one of the best classes we've seen in a long time, though. No, it was a pretty good class, really. Um, it, and there's just been some hits and miss. Some, um, uh, you know, year three regression from at least a guy or two. Um, yeah. So I mean, there's a good amount to. You know, some end of the season fall offs. There's a good amount to to dissect here. So, I mean, let's just start at the top. And the guys that we're talking about being at the top of this class right now, I'm going to jump around the list. It's probably going to annoy the shit out of you. But the guys at the top of the class we're talking about right now are A.J. Brown, Debo Samuel, D.K. Metcalf. Um, And I'll go ahead and throw... No, we'll keep... Those two would, I would group yeah, those I'll, three together. Yeah, I'll group. I found those are all top ten. There's a top ten dynasty receivers like. right now. So yeah, it's Debo Samuel, AJ Brown, and DK Metcalf. We need to talk about right now, and kind of different trends. Whereas Debo gave you overall his best season, showed how dynamic it can be, reminded people of how good he is. You know, despite that he still has a tendency to get banged up. DK Metcalf and AJ Brown. Um, Brown dealt with his own injuries, but both kind of down seasons from the year before. AJ Brown was my, you know, uh, stock down guy. It wasn't a huge crash, but he went from, you know, being talked about as a top dynasty wide receiver to, you know, just being like, okay, solidly top 10. But it may be higher. I'm just saying top 10 because that's the safe number. But, you know, AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, Debo Samuel. Who do you like most long term? Um, who's most likely to continue to uh, to fade? Um, and you know, do these guys end up back with their same teams? I'm not gonna fade it, any of them. They're all cornerstone build around pieces. Brown is actually at his highest ADP of his history in terms of DLF since he was a rookie. Oh, good for him, coming off of a down season too. Yeah, I don't know. What, I mean, he I had a very, very strong. More. I don't know who that says more about. He had a very strong finish to his uh, his injury riddled middle part of the season. I'm still gonna pick him. I still think he's the most talented. I don't want to say most. I shouldn't say most talented, but he's in the arguably the best situation for all of them. Seattle is in this unknown spot with Wilson. Still Tyler Lockett there and a coach who wants to be run first, no matter who his quarterback, receivers, running backs are. I love Debo's. I just, I love where Debo's at. And we may have just seen a ceiling. Um, if you care about age, he's is a couple years older than both Brown and Metcalf. Um, has his own injury problems, you know, durability concerns, but yeah, that's, I mean, 
you are literally splitting hairs between the three, in my opinion. Brown has the elite target share, and you're betting on talent over situation. You know, Weird Derrick that- Henry's not getting younger. He's, yeah, he's coming off of his own injury. Um, and it doesn't matter what Tennessee does. Brown just continues to dominate the volume, and that's what you're. That's what I'm basing on. I want the top talent, and I expect the situation to not remain the same year over again. Which I can't say the same for Debo. That's the only concern. Yeah. Well, and is it weird that they're kind of all three in what I would consider to be run first offenses? Honestly, I mean, for right now, yeah, all right three now, of them are yeah, for sure. All yeah, run first offenses. So fuck Seattle. God damn it, Pete Carroll. Yeah. Um, <laughs> look, if I'm rating them right now, it's AJ Brown, Debo, and DK. Um, yeah, I think, I, I think I'm good with that. Yeah, Debo showed shown us that he can be a little bit more dynamic. Um, you know, DK, I mean, all of Seattle is out of sync, but DK's fall off doesn't have the, the injury ties that did AJ Brown's did. It was just, he progressed. I don't know how else to put it. I mean, quarterback play, I guess, because Wilson was hurt, but I mean, I think that Debo being used in as dynamic of a role as he is and AJ Brown being, you know, a top guy, uh, like you said, with Derrick Henry not getting any younger um, and a, a huge yet guy that I just profiled better than DK Metcalf coming out of this draft is still kind of my one. All three guys, I think, are, are holds to me unless, you know, even if you're on a rebuilding team, they're still young enough. Wide receivers, I mean, they're going to get a second contract that they're going to play through pretty easily. Yeah. I think all three guys. Um, so... I would be, I, I'd even be looking out there and trying to get yourself from, you know, some Metcalf. Debo is going to be incredibly difficult to acquire. Same with Brown, given how his strong finish to the 21 season and, and into the playoffs. But Metcalf coming off the down year, the unknown with Wilson, I think there's a lot of value to be had because he's still, I mean, he was productive with Geno fucking Smith, still in a run first offense. I could definitely see Pete Carroll canned after this year if he if Seattle struggles again, which they probably will because they play in the toughest division in football right now. If he does and, struggle, he's a guy that I want to go kick out there as a buy potentially. Yeah, I'll, 100%. I, I would be kicking the tires on DK right now. Alright, kind of going down to, I want to say next tier. Yeah, we'll do next tier with this group. Uh, yeah. Hollywood Brown, Terry McLaurin, Deontay Johnson, all all guys that aren't quite at the echelon those first three guys are, but all guys that in their own right, um, you know, absolutely have value. Um, out of those three, Hollywood Brown, I think, had the most impressive season last year. Um, you know, Deontay Johnson is still struggling with drops, struggling with the things that, you know, other than Pittsburgh trying to make him a thing, he's struggling with every reason I thought he wasn't going to be a thing. And that's hard for me to look at that. While the target volume's consistent and the productivity is relatively consistent, it's hard for me to look at the things that haven't been cleaned up yet and think that that's a recipe for long term success. Terry McLaurin really fell off last season. Um, you know, wasn't drafted high wasn't necessarily regarded high and then came out the first two seasons was good and seemed like he was almost quarterback proof and then had some big games last year 
Um, but Washington's got to do a lot to get right there. He's got to get kind of go elsewhere. But you know, I think he, what he what we saw happen is that without a lot of help around him, you know, they were kind of able to take him away a little bit in some games. And um, so yeah, Holly Brown, I think with Lamar Jackson especially showed you know, uptick in target volume, a little bit lower a dot, a little bit higher efficiency. Um, you know, he took the steps in the right direction that I want to see from a, a third year receiver that's progressing that also has some extreme big playability. What's nice about Brown is, is that he, he's not, he's never going to be the focal point. If everything breaks right with this receiving core, Mark Andrews is fit perfectly in his role. Rashad Bateman is true. Like he profiles as an alpha and, and given where he, he started from missing the first five games of the year and being able to carve out a role as early as the first week he came back. Brown fits in that spot. I don't love his ceiling. Most stable situation, though, two out of those three. Yeah. I still like Deontay Moore. The, the dude still finished top five in target share, you know, commanding over 28%. And that's playing, regardless of how you feel about, about Claypool, he was able to still do that despite the concerns we have about him. Still top five in snaps. I'm surprised. I mean, I'm not surprised because Juju got hurt. The slot snaps might minus have, high, but he still runs most routes. Might have so in a very competitive balls. Yeah, I see why we're excited. Yeah, well, hey, it, it can't get worse. It's not going to get worse than Big Ben, right? If they're going to, I mean, he still he still plays the role. He still plays the perfect safety net role where he's a great separator. He's a, he's a good route runner, and while yes, drops suck. You can't drop the football if you're not getting targets. It was just something that he does extremely well. So I, I, I've I been trying to acquire Deontay. Like, I want my guy, I want wide receivers that can, you know, garner target production. And in what is considered a very terrible situation from a quarterback play, does he have his concerns? Yes. That's why he's not a top 10, top 15 receiver in Dynasty. McLaurin at least showed the explosive big playability, but like you said, drop off in quarterback play, drop off in whole on offensive play. You know, no one was mistaking um, homeboy. Uh, uh, you know their quarterback. I can't now not remember names. Um, Taylor Heineke. Yeah, Heineke to be the future of that team, mm-hmm. or or even fit. So it, it's. You're hoping with McLaurin that you know he's a hold in that if they go after a quarterback this year, whether it be a veteran or a rookie, that you get to see him bounce back into his first two-year form. I, I like all three. I actually like trying to acquire all three. Brown's probably the cheapest. I will say that people love Bateman. I will say that I do think Deontay, if things break right for the Steelers in this quarterback overhaul, does have very, very high upside then the floor could end up a lot higher than Hollywood's and the upside could end up a lot higher than Hollywood's. I just have a lot of concerns about their, what they're going to do again on February 9th, 2022. <laughs> um, I could see those two easily flip flopping for me though. When we, I want them all. I want to draft or post frames. I want them all too. I want to um, acquire all of them. Except for maybe McLaurin. I, I got rid of him, but that's all. Well, there were true. things in, in his profile too, that I didn't like. If you look up, you know, what you got out of out of Terry McLaurin, 
Um, I think I talked about this. Maybe I did. Yeah, a little bit ago. Um, I can't remember if I talked about this a couple weeks ago or not, if McLaurin was a guy that I highlighted. But, you know, he does not have the underlying profile that Deontay Johnson has or that or that Hollywood Brown has. I mean, aside from from the quarterback stuff, they for whatever reason with Rivera changed how they were using him. They upped his A dot by a lot. He had the volume, but um poor target. It feels quality, like Alan Robertson. play, uh extremely poor separation, uh poor contested catch and that's really what gets me about it is that, you know, if you can't win contested balls and you don't separate, the other stuff doesn't necessarily matter um, as far as your unrealized air yards being high or how good your target quality was or anything like like that. There's signs that there could be more there for McLaurin. I just don't like the signs he has as much as I like the signs that Deontay or Hollywood have. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm good with that. Like I said, I, I, I want to try to get all three. I think all three are so undervalued. McLaurin's Brown are probably still the lowest. There's still there's a lot of Deontay truthers, so it might be a little harder to pry. Well, him. and with the Steelers, that'll be the case. And with the so. Steelers, yeah, Steelers and their fan base. So, yeah, um, yeah. All right. Um, rest of these guys, I'll throw them out there, and then we'll talk because I don't want to try to split them up. I want to talk Renfro. I think Renfro Ooh. deserves his own talking point. We are, and, we, and, and that was else. it because I couldn't figure out if I wanted to put Renfro with like Hardman and. Campbell maybe or just Renfro by himself. So I'll throw I agree with Renfro by himself. Uh Oof, God is Dynasty rank. Jesus, people don't buy into him. Nope, and I don't understand it because everything's shown he's a re- elite route runner with reliable hands, you know, with you know, Waller being taking a step back. Hunter Renfro is the guy that, that stepped up. He showed some touchdown upside and now he's getting an offensive coordinator that has made a lot of use out of this type of receiver. Miguel Chapton, friend of the show, the other day asked, um, you know, put out there that, you know, Hunter Renfro was a, a model buster for PSI. And Hunter Renfro profiles almost exactly, this is cliche, I'm warning you, but Hunter Renfro profiles almost exactly like Wes Welker profiled from an athletic standpoint. Popped up six in the red zone targets. Again, just a ton of target volume. Um, big yak. Total TDs were up. Super reliable second catch rate. Uh, high target quality. Um, there, there's not a lot in his profile to not like. Sixth in target separation, getting over two yards, which shows the elite route run running ability. Um this is a guy that, especially in a Josh McDaniels offense, may go even higher. Yeah, I mean, I saw. I mean, it, he's been he's been one of the hardest people for how I actually want to view and like feel about him for dynasty. You know, twenty six years old, like in that quote unquote prime spot. He's in a great role. The Raiders, you know, skill set, that coaching change. Hopefully, doesn't matter much. Skill set that he's, plays into his thirties. Yeah, a skill set that should see him play longer than than A should care about. Um I'm still not particularly in love with his ceiling. I think that's what does it for me. I love Florida. 
and, and, and it, it, he's oh, will always be a great four piece. And will always should always be on rosters and will always be a great asset to have, especially on championship rosters. I think the one thing that it's lacking though is the is you know how much longer does Derek Carr have there? And then is he gonna have to play with the new quarterback? You know, we all you know, we see a lot of people take regression when it comes to quarterback, you know, when you get into a a rookie quarterback play, you know, coming off of a veteran. Um, He's got safety. And then net does qualities. he get resigned? Is he done enough to get resigned there as well? If he doesn't get resigned there, I'm real interested in where he goes. Yeah. And, and it, it, that's kind of it because, you know, you look at his stretch from weeks 12 through 14, over 100 total yards in those three games. And, you know, target volume's obviously there. You know, you can, you can, you know, make the argument, you know, with, with Darren Waller. You know, being injured for most of that season, that is that why the production increased even higher, which you know coincides with it. Sure, I mean it wasn't a team last year. You know, if you look at last year when Waller was healthy throughout, no game over double digit targets, and it's just it, it, is it a one year fluke? And I think most most people want to see does it happen a second time or is this just a one year? Sure, and I think it's probably scenario. somewhere in the middle because I mean, look that target volume with what Waller was getting in. You know, the matchup difference is just, I mean, yeah. yeah, target volume definitely went up because Waller was was out. No doubt. You can't look at that and honestly tell yourself that it was organic. But with him showing himself as more of a red zone weapon and not just that third down reliable guy, and as well as the Raiders did this year, and again, with the the coaching change sustaining some of that, I think the truth is probably somewhere in the middle of those two things. Yeah, I mean, it, it was such a massive jump. I think that's where where people are a little concerned with is like, do we just witness a ceiling? And, and again, it probably lies somewhere in the middle. And you know, we, I think he's always, I think he should always be rostered until told otherwise. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I land on. And most people don't heavily buy into it anyway. So I think he's still. You know, decently acquirable in terms of value, which is obviously what we like at this time of the year, anyways. So, yeah. All right. Um, some other guys then: Nicole Hardman, Ortega Whiteside. No, we'll get to Whiteside in a second. Actually, Nicole Hardman, Paris Campbell, uh, Darius Slayton, the other guys that have had some value. Hardman, I think, is a role player. Campbell. Uh, unfortunately, the emergence of Pittman with Campbell dealing with injuries going now into year four um, has thrown some water on what his upside was. It's still, you know, he could be a late breakout because he hasn't, he's not a guy like, um, you know, Hardman who's been mostly healthy that's just shown that he's pretty much a role player and not a lot else. Campbell's a guy that just really hasn't been able to stay on the field and really show you what's there yet. Um, And Darius Slayton was you know, had some big games, I think kind of by default, but is kind of frozen out by that giant situation right now. Slayton was like a, he was just a touchdown producer. Yeah. And the giants like with them overhauling everything, Slayton just feels like he's going to be just moving on to the next team. Armin's showing absolutely nothing besides one off, you know, lot play that, that scores a touchdown doesn't get target volume. It was a terrible pick to begin with. I love Campbell's, you know, 
pairing with Pittman, they both play so differently. You know, Pittman of the traditional alpha outside guy who doesn't who doesn't need to win with separation or route running. He just, you know, bodies great at the 50-50s where while Campbell is just that's his role. I love him if if they finally get rid of TY, but I think I think with Campbell, we have three straight years of injuries. It just that's the hard part. It might me. not happen for him, and that's just the shitty part. Mm-hmm. Like we all liked him far more than than Terry McLaurin, you know, coming out. But Campbell, who got the capital too, just he couldn't stay healthy, and he just found himself likely going to get replaced because that Colts offense outside of JT and Pittman feels interchangeable. Yep. And maybe Hines, because Hines was re-signed last year. It feels like every, you're going to start seeing more and more replacements in that on that offense. All right, other names that we don't have to talk about. Uh, Andy Isabella, <laughs> or sorry, no, Bus. Sorry, there's bus. three guys I would consider Bus here based on where they're drafted, and it's Nikhil Harry, Ortega Whiteside, and Andy Isabella. People forget how high he went and how yep. little he's done. So, which is nothing. He's done Yikes. nothing. He's He's just going to be gone and Harry's on his way out of the Patriots and he's going to be the next guy like you know Kevin White or Perriman or Doxon that just kind of or Treadwell that just kind of floats around the league on different rosters and you know might when he's the only guy there give you some upside but isn't going to be it and our thicker white side is just going to float around and be a punchline he is with him and Rager Yep. Harry, if Harry can get his attitude in check, you can find some work ethic to him. I think you can see a treadwell type of, you know, few game resurgence. Isabella just falls in line with the constant misses from the Cardinals wide receiver drafts. You mean like it's it's, not, it's, nobody learned from Tavon Austin. If it wasn't for the not, Eagles, the, yeah, right? Like no one's learned. Nobody the, learned the, that the 5'8 guy with blazing speed is not who you draft it. Other than Tyreek Hill, blind squirrels find nuts sometimes, right? The and guy he got below, lucky. Yeah, he was the super guy below five ten that has blazing speed and not much else isn't really what you go sign. Yeah, and, and it's uh, yeah. If it wasn't for the Eagles, the Cardinals would be the punching bag for complete misses at wide receiver each and every year. Yeah, they would be. Uh, other guys, Kelvin Harmon, who was a top guy and then fell off of the draft process. Scotty Shut Miller, Matt Hicks. yeah. <laughs> uh, Scotty Miller, who has had some nice games, which is just a role player. Jalen Hurd, yep. Miles Boykin, highly athletic tandem that's been mostly hurt, never realized any of that upside. Akeem Butler's a tight end now. Um, another guy like Kelvin Harmon, though, that was considered near the top of the class before the actual draft proceedings started. He fooled a lot of people. Yeah. He fooled a lot. And then. Gary Jennings, Riley Ridley, who somehow also fooled a lot of people. Riley Ridley, Jesus. Keyshawn Johnson, Travis Fulgham, who actually had a good season. Uh, Jawan Winfrey, Marcus Green, Terry Godwin, BC Johnson, Dylan Mitchell. Dylan Mitchell being the uh, biggest disappointment to not have ever seen anything out of on this list for me. Yeah. Mitchell should. Yeah, there's nothing. There's just, yeah, these guys are. Sure. So a lot of turn and burn. All right, tight ends. Um, so we'll go through kind of everyone together here on the top end, like we did quarterback. So the guys that have produced have solidified their self spots. 
TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant, Irv Smith Jr., Dawson Knox, Foster Moreau, uh, Irv Smith Jr., uh, behind Rudolph and then injured. So he's kind of like, there's one in every tier, right? Where they haven't shown it yet, but you'd still think they will. We've seen flashes out of Fant. Hawkinson's been really good. And Dawson Knox just had a breakout year. And then Foster Moreau trapped behind Waller, but I think we kind of know what he is. Yeah, a guy that just somehow gets more targets than he's, he should probably get, even though we big ass red zone body. Otherwise. Yeah. I think Fant's kind of been the most disappointing, but. I mean, if you see an increase, you know, better increase in QB play overall. Um, but you also just witnessed both Sutton and Patrick get resigned, which there, there's so many good playmakers on this team. He's just never going to get to that desired target share. For Fant feels like a Fant feels like an easy second team and blow up. That's how I feel about Evan Ingram too. And but for a tight end, right? For for Fant and Njoku, and Njoku, for Fant, I mean, still ninety targets, six hundred plus yards, touchdowns go up a little bit. I mean, that's a top six, top seven tight end. Yeah, it's just it's not with him. It, it's it's just he's in that cluster, right? We talk about like, every yeah. year from a redraft standpoint, which still kind of fits the same for dynasty. It's just it's not good enough to be. Like up up rash on you, you, you know Hawkinson with the target volume that he should receive. What we saw from Mark Andrews and and even Kyle Pitts, um, and, and Pitts's ranking is solely based on what he did this year and his age compared to everybody else. Yeah. It's just Fant. Just well, you want more, I think, or you want him to separate himself and get into that top tier. So I'll just put it this way: the fact is, is that there are let's see, Kittle. Kelsey, Andrews, Hawkinson, Pitts. There's five top tier tight ends. Most of your solid dynasty leagues, there's 12 teams. You got to find seven other guys that you kind of believe in. And I think Noah Fant with the upside still there. And at least what the productivity shows is still a guy that you can believe in in that yeah. seven other guys realm. And it's kind of like Dawson Knox, right? Where it's almost flipped. Dawson Knox pending what happens with you know the rest of that receiving core right didn't really see a ton of target volume he didn't have a lot of the volume that Noah Fant had but what he did have was nine touchdowns and a red zone share so you know they're kind of the guys that you look at here and you're like well I guess he was close he was 100 yards off and 18 targets so you know kind of an echelon below Fant from a volume perspective five more touchdowns. So, you know, you're kind of de- debating between those two out of this class for the guy behind Hawk because you haven't really seen a lot out of Irv Smith yet because he was behind Rudolph and he's been hurt. I want to see a full season of Irv Smith. He is the highest upside, biggest unknown still in this class. And he's cheap, man. There's he's a lot of cheap. A lot of names that I respect are out on him. Yeah. And I, I recently did a, a dynasty auction startup and I have fan Irv. You know, I, I'm going after these, you know, I'm not paying up because it's hard in premium. So they're, you know, a lot of the top end guys were going to uh, cost a hell of a lot more. But again, fan feels like a second team kind of guy just because he's proven it when he's got the opportunity. It's just the opportunity just isn't there. There's just too much there. Yeah. It's not even just the receivers. You have both running backs. 
and and you even have a backup in Albert O, who's just as athletic. So it's I like Fan, I still like Fant more than Knox because I I I love what he could what his role could turn into. Now I think Knox will always be a red zone guy because I, I don't see him leaving Buffalo for a while. No, I don't and either. He has he, his, he has a, a great role touchdown upside. That's well, and I think Knox you may you. see a little bump when they do move on from from Cole Beasley, who's a free agent. I think after next season, I think they could uh, still cut him too. They can, but um, you know, I think Will you they? see more out of Knox when that happens in kind of that role. Um, how do you feel about Irv Smith behind these guys? I mean, I he's I, I'm trying to get him. I'm not. I'm I'm there. I mean, he's a second round pick. He's only been he's he's kind of going in the way of OJ Howard, where where injuries have kind of taken over for him, and that just kind of hurts. Um, I like the fact that he's very very inexpensive, and all right off the all right on the athleticism and him falling back into his his starting role from from past season. I right, below that, if you told me that all of Josh Oliver, Jay Sternberger, and Kahalia Waring amounted to uh, pretty much nothing so far. I would have told you you're fucking crazy. I would have expected to see, given the athletic profiles of all three of these guys and the productivity of a couple of guys, I would expect to at least, and tight ends do take longer to break out, so I mean, they're not all dead, but I mean, Oliver and they're all three, I think, on their second teams at least, right? Um, Unfortunately, with Josh, he just didn't get six-drawn draft capital and is floating around already. It's well, and that's what sucked for him. He's been hurt, and, and same with Kalali wearing too. Yeah. yeah, and they've both been hurt a ton. And you know, Sternberger just never has materialized, and that's not something that I think a lot of people were looking at those three guys and saying one of them is going to be something. I think a lot of people would. I wasn't one of them because I was actually on Dawson Knox's with more of a floor. He was injured a lot in college. Yeah, we, um, yeah, we liked him. But, you know, a lot of people had one or two of these guys up ahead of Dawson Knox, and I think would have bet, it on, bet on them more than on Dawson Knox. I mean, we had Sternberger probably higher. We might he, have. He got, he, he got, what, round two capital? It was just, it like, he got hurt his first year, and then he had the off-the-field issues, and then he was cut. Mm-hmm. Like he was a, and then he's been on multiple teams, and he, he's he's likely done now too. Yeah, but I mean, and Sternberger had a great profile. It was just, yeah, I mean, headspace. He yeah. was too immature, apparently. They all three just had something that they didn't play. And you know what? If you tell me in two years that one of these guys actually did break out on their second or third team, I would not be surprised at all. But. Are you rostering them? Are you trading? You, you don't have to trade for any of them. They're probably free or close to They're it. All free, but I'll uh, take my shot on Drew Sample right now because he's the only lone tight end in, in Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's a body right he now. Was purely right? a draft. Uh, uh, God, what a terrible pick! He was clearly you drafted a blocking tight end. Yeah, uh, it, was, it was bad. He'll get replaced. Yeah. Uh, I mean, none of these guys. It, it's just it's. The only scenario is such a shot in the dark. Yeah. The only scenario you have any of these three guys is if you're a rebuilding team that's traded away a bunch of people and you're looking for roster lottery picks because you don't need the roster spots for anything useful right now. 
They're basically warm bodies until you get your rookies. Pick up one of them because open roster spots is useless. You can always cut people. Yeah. Pick up lottery tickets until your roster's out. A churn and burn. Yep. Um, yeah, aside from that, Drew Sample was nothing. Trayvon Wesco, I think, was a fullback. Zach Gentry was a big SOB that hasn't done anything. He was like 6'7". You think he ran one of the lowest uh, 40 times? Four yeah, times it was offensive line area. Uh, Caden Smith, people liked him. He had he had some he had some good relief games for uh, for Evan Ingram. He did. I think it was last year. Yep. Um. So it'd be interesting to see. He could be a late breakout, but so far not a lot on him. I mean, I mean Kyle Rudolph replaced him. Yes. Yeah. It's his age. I'm not. No. Yep. Uh, Isaac Nuada, nothing. Tommy Sweeney, nothing. He was drafted with Dawson Knox to the Bills. Dawson Knox has easily surpassed that. Elise Mack, I think, is out of the league. And so is Caleb Wilson, who also had a, a good draft profile. I mean, he's not floating around on teams anymore and went, like, in the seventh round. He's a guy that I think early on was talked about is, you know, up there with Fant or Smith and those guys, given his athleticism and his productivity. But I don't remember the name out. at all. Really? I have. I, I got to. I mean, I'll pull he up. He was my... a UCLA tight end that year. I thought that was Elise Mack. That was Caleb Wilson. He was uh, Caleb. Yeah, you're right. And he uh, was productive. Mac was Notre Dame. He was productive. He had. He was fast. I mean, he didn't have the agility, which or the burst, which I think hurt him. He profiled close to Julius Thomas, and he had a four five six forty as a tight end. <laughs> a, looks kind of awkward when he's trying to make his cuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Damn, being a film a film guy. Here we go. I mean, I no. think I didn't like his film either, though. I think that's what turned me off to him. Yeah, it, I, that I think he was slim, too. I don't know. These guys are so hit or miss if they can't, you know, tight end is a very difficult position to move to. You know, it's a difficult transition from from college to pros and what the expectations are for you. Sternberger still kind of hurts. I took him in a lot of I took him in a lot of leagues. A lot of rookie drafts. Sternberger does hurt. I'm trying to figure out. Oh, God. I apparently have Caleb Wilson in a lot of places, in a lot of uh, documents throughout our show's history, a lot more than he should have been in. (laughs) Okay, let's see what I said about Caleb Wilson. Just as a good capper, since you said route's kind of awkward. I'm just curious because I... could have swore there were things here I did not like. Did I type something wrong? No. What's going on? Yeah. Sorry, this is great. Great air. But that's something that you come to know and love from us. So, Let's scroll down here. There's Fant, Hawkinson, or Smith, Sternberger, Caleb Wilson. Uh, didn't do the big boy stuff well. Not a great blocker, strictly a move guy. Not breaking tag. I think it was the big boy stuff that I didn't like. He was thinner. He didn't contest well. Didn't play end zone well, and didn't really yeah. block. So you're basically getting a a pure uh move tight end that yeah you know, I thought could have developed into something 
in that role is the NFL is moving more to, towards that role. But um, there, I think there might have been something in the pre-draft work, too, that dropped him to the seventh round. Because you don't yeah. see that productivity profile and that athleticism fall that far unless there's something he, else teams knew about. He could have had a bad interview. He could have interviewed poorly. Like, you, you know, you call these coaches up and they tell you what the real deal is and stuff like that. Like, there's there's a lot of stuff that we can't see and film that we can't gather or, from or stats. stats. Yeah, that's why draft capital also plays into this thing and landing spot. And yeah, it's uh, it does pay to look at some of these these ridiculous mocks. It could, it does kind of give a light to where uh, you know, what the front office is actually feeling about these players. So. Indeed. All right, that's our show. Uh, we'll be back with 2020 next week. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, we'll catch you next time. See you. I feel like I forgot something. Oh, I did forget no. something. Hold on. Uh, back to the news real quick. There's something else I wanted to bring up. Did you see this Greg Robinson arrest? Yeah, dude. It was it's nuts, man. It's like watching an episode of Snowfall. 39 pounds of marijuana, three and a quarter pounds of crystal meth, two and a quarter pounds of cocaine, four grams of crack cocaine, 227 doses of hydrocodone, 48 doses of oxycodone, uh, 18 doses of alprazolam, and a large assortment of drug drug trafficking and packaging equipment. He's going to jail for a long time. (laughs) He sees... uh... Boy, what a what what a poor miss. Number two overall pick. And now he's going to jail for very, 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 very yeah, long. Good time. He better have a good lawyer. Say that. I don't think it's gonna help. He better be willing to roll over on people and risk risk getting killed if he doesn't want to be in jail for the rest of his yeah. life. Yikes. Because he didn't get all that on his own. All right, see ya. See ya.